0: It sounded like it was computer automated. The Zoom voice of, this meeting is
1: being recorded. It is computer automated. There's not a little woman there who's waiting.
0: (laughs) But I would want it to be Donald Sutherland or somebody with a good voice. I would prefer it, but they didn't want to spring for that.
1: Donald Sutherland has a good voice?
0: Donald Sutherland has a good voice?
1: I don't know if that's the first voice I would think of when I think good voice.
0: I mean, let's think good voices. Well, there's a weird bias towards, here's something I want an answer for. Why, for nature documentaries, old men? Why do we want it? Why do we love it? Why is that our favorite type of person that we want? Donald Sutherland, Morgan Freeman, David Attenborough. Why, for nature documentaries, do we gravitate to that?
1: Good question. I don't know.
0: There's a woman who does it. Sigourney Weaver?
2: Yes. Sigourney Weaver. The public doesn't want it.
0: <laughs> I have no idea. I haven't done any focus testing.
1: It's almost kind of paternalistic or whatever, like an older person telling you
0: about the ways of nature. It's like a human tree.
1: Yeah. You want it sage advice. Mm, but um,
0: I mean, Oprah did one, but it was kind of weird because Oprah, without being able to just sort of perform on a stage is weird
1: i don't like the ones where they try to be sassy watch out now here comes trouble like i don't i don't like that like give it to me right down the middle
0: you didn't like when snoop did one
1: like a little um show (laughs) i think netflix has a couple of these where like they're narrating what's happening but they're doing it with like pizzazz yeah oh someone got stuck in the cookie jar get like no no just just tell me the, you know, the cheetah waits for its prey. You know, like just just yes, keep it simple. Yes. Yeah. Foreground.
2: It's the old adage of like how you know a referee did a good job in the game is you don't notice the referee. Yeah. Like don't give me the ump show where you're you're making yourself the show. Yeah. We're not here to see you. Right. So Sigourney Weaver, we're not here to see, to hear you give some sort of exposition about, oh, no, look what's around the corner. Is she British? <laughs> No, I don't think so.
1: No, she's not. Have you noticed seen Aliens? Did I just invent that in my head? <laughs> you just invented that. I mean, the name Sigourney it sounds like it. Yeah. You no, know, Lady Sigourney Weaver.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. She's definitely like on uh, Downton Abbey, for sure. Like, there is a character named Sigourney Weaver on Downton Abbey. No, I'm with Amin on
0: this take, though. It's like the Italians say that the sauce should accentuate the pasta. The pasta is the star of the show. The nature is the star of the show. And I think David Attenborough is the goat. I think that's the guy over anybody else. And he's in his 90s. Him and
1: Morgan Freeman, right? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. One, one A.
1: Well, it's funny. Like, one wouldn't think that there's a small screen, big screen thing, but there certainly is because Morgan Freeman, I feel like I'm going to a movie theater to watch a 90-minute documentary about something, particularly in the Antarctic. It's got to be Morgan Freeman. Yeah, if I'm watching a TV show series, you know, seven episodes, ten episodes, each an hour long, then Attenborough takes the takes the, the the lead there.
0: So who is coming down the pike? Because these guys aren't going to be around forever. Who's our next old man? Maybe he's I don't know in his sixties right now, and he's going to mature. You think Kev- Kevin Hart and the Rock? I love it. I,
2: I mean, <laughs>
1: yeah. they're, they're taking every other job.
2: They're monopolizing the the job market. I could see The Rock doing
1: it. I think we're at a place right now in Hollywood where contraction, you've got to offer it to The Rock and Kevin Hart first. (laughs) Then if they turn it down, then you can open up the, the, the process to other people.
2: They're restricted free agents. They have first refusal. They have to go through them first. I'm thinking, like, will Sudeikis
0: be the guy of the future? Who's going to be the guy of the
1: future? Too funny, too funny. You need someone who gives off paternalistic vibes. Yeah, yeah you need
2: a comforting, like, grandfather, grandmother vibe. Stallone. Um.
1: <laughs> Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez!
2: Oh geez! Look out, mouse! <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Welcome to The Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. That's Amin Al-Hassan of uh, Levitard Show and uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio. Amin is coming to you from an undisclosed location where he forgot his laptop and so his mic is a little... If you like Amin, you're going to love Amin here. If you don't like Amin, just turn down the volume. Board. I got two. I got two. I know I'm screwing up your
0: intro. Uh, Will Arnett and Denzel Washington.
1: Mm, I like those. Those are good names. Great names. He's got the gravelly voice. Yeah. Make me the appetizers again. Fried cheese with club sauce. Oh. Popcorn shrimp with club sauce. Oh. Chicken fingers. Oh, stop it! You're making me dizzy. With spicy club sauce. No, I mean stop. Well, no, that's a great voice. You said Keeper Sutherland. I said Donald. Oh, you said. Donald <laughs> Yeah. See, shit. John Goodman,
2: too. But yes, sorry. Get back to your intro. That's Ethan Strauss. You got to do Ethan Strauss who coming in here. Of the Victory Machine and of Changes to be Named Later. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Nice to be
0: here, guys.
1: Do we not clarify
2: at all? <laughs> we can say
0: there's a big announcement coming in the future, and we can keep it at that.
2: So, Ethan, you have a big announcement to be announced. Yes. Did you watch the draft last night? Be honest.
0: Did you watch it? No. I followed it on Twitter, uh, and I heard that the television production of it was a disaster. That's what I was told through my sources.
2: Disagree. Okay. I loved last night's broadcast. I didn't watch the Jalen – I heard Jalen Rose was pretty good on ABC.
1: Oh, wait. Were there two different broadcasts?
2: Yes. There are two different broadcasts last night, I believe, but I I didn't switch it to ABC.
1: I watched the one with – Perk and Jay Billis. That's the one I watched. I didn't know Jalen Rose was doing one.
2: Yeah. So I think ABC was supposed to be like treating it more of like an entertainment red carpet outfit analysis and, and and interest, like less basketball and more. This is the Oscars. I had no idea
0: this existed either. I mean, this is sort of a, I, maybe that's not the best sign considering that Amina and I had no idea this was happening. And we're in the upper 1% of people who would probably know it was happening. I didn't know there was the there was the simulcast, um, but it, it, not the draft ratings matter too much, but it does help them plump up the ratings when they have things on two channels and they combine them and they say that, oh, it's because you're going to get a bump. I mean, you get a million people just for showing up on network television in theory.
2: So, Ethan, last night, Kendrick Perkins was the star of the show. I mean, I loved Perks. He's he's kind of like if you're going to go on a trajectory of Charles Barkley or Kenny Smith or Ernie or what Jalen Rose. Like, I feel like Kendrick Perkins is going the Charles Barkley route where everything he says, I'm in. Like, I wanna hear what he says because everything he says is interesting. He's gonna come in with like a totally ridiculous take. Uh, he has fun with it, he's funny. Southern accent. Is he from... Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont, Texas. He's from Beaumont, Texas. I feel like people, and Ethan, you don't have to watch to get this, what I'm saying here. People want Kendrick Perkins to be nerdy, Mm. smart X's and O's guy and really dry. Like the analysis that I see from Kendrick Perkins is he's given his takes, his viewpoints. He's, He's being entertaining while he's doing it. And... He's getting a lot of backlash because he didn't know how to pronounce uh, Moses Moody's name or didn't have a take about the 17th pick. I kind of feel like that's not his role. And that's kind of the point is like I think NBA analysis shouldn't be too serious. And Kendrick Perkins brings that energy of uh, like fun. He, he, He brings the levity to a show. Did he call him Moses
1: Modi? Two of the best to ever do it. When you look at Modi M- Moses, Modi Moses, Modi Moses, Modi Moses, Moses Modi. It was awesome.
0: You know what I think people like about Perkins is that he feels he feels pretty real, and and it seems like he's not too obsessed with Twitter. And I think just that that itself people want. I don't necessarily think people people do like good analysis. I think that's a good question of what should ESPN be doing. Because if I'm looking at their presentation versus Turner, Turner, they can't beat what Turner's doing the way Turner is doing it. They can't beat jocularity, pardon the pun, from these ex jocks who are snapping towels verbally at one another. And Chuck is calling Shaq ugly, and Shaq is saying, "I'm going to slap you." And it's a lot you're of fun into and you're the not-
2: jumbotron. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and you're
0: and you're not going to get the greatest analysis in the world. Let's be Let's face it, but you're going to have a great time from the most famous possible retired athletes other than Michael Jordan. And ESPN cannot compete with that. So I think it's a good question. What can they do? What should they do? Now, maybe you go the perk route and you, you try to get some of that that TNT aspect to it, but maybe they should be going for their comparative advantage And going nerdy as possible because that's the only lane on offer to them.
1: No, Ethan, this is easy. Monster ratings are never built on nerdy. Yeah. There's a reason why, like, Star Wars makes a billion dollars, but if I put out a documentary about going to Mars, it probably wouldn't do as well. Right? Like, when you say, like, super X's and O's driven, all that, you basically say, I want to appeal to a niche audience, a niche audience that, from the that that does care about these levels of nuance. I'm not saying that they should be completely absent from your coverage. But yeah. if you made your coverage what NBA Twitter wants it to be, oh, no, it would be the it. worst rated show in, in the world.
0: That's that part's true. You could do smart without being anti-charismatic though.
1: I think they did that. Like Mike Schmitz is really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he he's he's as on top of this shit as anyone out there. Uh, the only person I can think of when it comes to draft time that I'd like to listen to more than Mike Smith is uh, Fran Priscilla. Fran, Fran's my guy, Fran, and Fran's awesome in that he, he knows how to take information about all these different prospects, whether college or international or in the G League, and make it easily digestible for someone who hasn't watched these guys play. Yeah, but you pair that with other people who can. Do some of the other stuff, some of the other shenanigans, right? And I think obviously, Perk. By the way, I, I said this last night on Levitard, Perk knows these players, the domestic players, because this guy he he volunteers at like the NBA MVPA 100 camp where these kids came up as high school kids. He knows a lot of these AAU coaches. He's plugged in. So when he's talking about these players, like it's not like a guy who just you know it's not like. For instance, Charles, when they're doing March Madness, where he's just learning about these guys right now. Um, having said that, Perk is going to deliver it in a trademark Kendrick Perkins entertaining way. It's not going to be talking about, oh, when they iced him in the pick and roll. No, that's not how he talks. It's not how he delivers his basketball information. And that's and that's cool. And obviously, Jay Billis, we know Jay, and he does the thing. And so, to me, I didn't have any problem. I thought that was a good three old people to have up there to talk about these players in different ways and and keep us entertained while informed.
2: I think Mike Schmidt did a great job. I mean, he, he was, he was energized. He brought the energy, he brought the information, um, his ability to like, this is, this is a a skill for TV is to pair your commentary with what's on the TV screen. Hmm. That's hard to do is to talk and then realize, oh, they're running this highlight. I need to talk specifically and give the play-by-play of like, watch what he does here. He, he turns away from the pick and then he cuts in and then he does that behind the back pass. And wow! Like, and then on the next slide, he's already matching what the next slide is going to be talking about. And it just seems like he's built for this. And I really, I thought pairing him with Perk. And then having Jay Billis be able to give kind of like the college basketball guru, the behind the scenes, like what Michigan State and Tom Izzo was doing with a player.
1: And one more thing that Jay Billis does. He's the familiar face. Yeah. Right. Because Perk, while we know him, we know him. Yeah. He's not a household name quite yet from a media standpoint. Mike Smith, obviously nobody knows who he is. In terms of again, I'm not talking about the NBA nerds. Obviously, basketball nerds know Jay
0: Billis is the dick Clark of the NBA draft at this point.
1: He's like he's just a guy that when you turn on the TV out, it's the NBA draft who's on. Oh, Jay Billis is on. And Reese Davis is on. Those are the familiar faces that for the casuals or even like the maybe a higher level in casual, but not quite I'm super focused on this. Mm-hmm. They're they're not gonna know Mike and Kendrick as much or as well. So you need those like stalwarts of the college basketball world to Welcome you in to greet you and to tie it.
2: Ethan, when you heard that it was a bad broadcast or it didn't go very well, were you saying from like a ratings st- or like from an entertainment standpoint? No, no, that's that's exactly what I was going
0: to talk about. Is that I got my cue from NBA Twitter, which is hypercritical in some respects, and now I feel misled. You know, I because I I I was following it through NBA Twitter, and I. NBA Twitter was fixating on some technical difficulties. There was some rumblings about how there was confusion. Maybe I'm conflating it, because I remember Kevin O'Connor was talking about confusion in the actual building as to who picked what and how it was chaotic. And maybe that bled into my idea of the TV presentation.
1: Technical difficulties. What happened was a couple of times we had some hot mics. So as we were supposed to go down to the commissioner or whatever, we kept hearing people talking. In particular, one of them, when, uh, when Kuminga got drafted, Perk, in his analysis, made a comparison to Jordan Bell. And then as they're going down to the commissioner, you hear Jay Billis say, I liked one. That one was a good one. Like, what was that? Jordan Bell? Like You hear that? So yeah, they were like, I mean, it's minor. Nobody cussed. Nobody said, oh, what a bum or whatever. It was kind of just like trickling conversation after they thought their mics were off. Um, and, uh, yeah, other than that, you know, I, I thought what they did with uh, the um, Terrence Clark family was really well done and very classy and very nicely done. Um, I, I even thought like the whole bringing the, all the guys out, the 20 guys who were invited, bringing them out with their parents or family, loved ones, or in the case of your man from Turkey, the uh, Tom, he brought his teammate out.
2: Alper and Shangoon. Yes, Shangoon. I, I love that. When you, when you don't know the name. Where everyone in his life abandoned him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your guy.
1: So he brings some guy, I don't even know if that dude is his friend or not. He's just like, yeah, he asked you to do it. So I said, why not? I'll take a trip to New York. I thought that was all well done. I love that. I mean. Now, I can imagine, Ethan, there were people like, oh, oh, I can't believe any I, I be don't I think I'm a brother. I do one of those people. Yes, that was terrible. Congratulations. And I always ask, where, like, what do you guys want? Like, where do you guys go for your stuff? Because it's never good enough. I mean, you know, either you're talking about um, the TNT guys. These are the same people that hate the TNT guys.
0: Yeah, which is crazy to me. The TNT guys, I mean, it's amazing. I love, I love Inside. <laughs> it's one of my favorite shows on television.
1: Where are these people getting their stuff from? Because at that point, if I hate everything on TV... I'll be honest. I don't think I would watch TV. I think I would just watch the game. And when it goes to halftime, I go to the bathroom, I get something to eat. I'd listen to a podcast, I guess, whatever. Yeah. But th- the reality is like, these people want to be miserable. That's what they really <laughs> want. They want to prove to you that nothing brings them joy. Like there's no happiness in their life. And that's all this is about.
2: I don't disagree. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that what social media is though? It's like, uh, on Instagram, it's it's putting out your best self, right? Your curated best self. Mm. And then Twitter is signaling you bitch and you complain. Twitter's where you vent because everybody made you feel insecure
0: with their Instagram photos. So now you vent all the ugliness inside of you when you go to Twitter.
1: That's exactly what Twitter is, by the way. That's exactly <laughs> it's. You saw Instagram <laughs> you're like, damn. And you go to Twitter and and I don't think it's just venting because you're frustrated. And I don't think it's it's bitching for the sake of bitching. I said, oh, these people want to be miserable. It's not that they want to be miserable. It's a a weird type of virtue signaling where you're trying to show people my standards are so high. There's no way I could be content or satisfied with this slop that you're serving. me, Right. Like I'm used to the finest restaurants and you guys are going to McDonald's. Oh, I can't believe you're eating that. But they eat it nonetheless. Like one would think if you felt that strongly about McDonald's, you just stop going to McDonald's. Hey, we're going to McDonald's. Have fun. Let me know when you get back. No, these people go to McDonald's just to announce to the entire dining area and the people working behind the counter. This is subpar food. And I can't believe you people willingly put it in your bodies. That's what they're doing on Twitter with all the criticisms of like the, the NBA analysis.
0: And and I certainly have my criticisms and and give those, but I think you got to keep the Roger Ebert rule in mind. I love this Roger Ebert rule, and you can apply it to cinephobe maybe. For how do you rate a movie? How do you judge a movie? It's not what a movie is, but how it is about it. And that's that's the rubric right there. That's what you should be... Judging it according.
1: Explain that. Go into a little bit more detail.
0: So you're watching an action movie. It's a great action movie. You shouldn't go, ah, this is just slop for troglodytes. This isn't the godfather part two. Ugh. I give it a a three out of ten. No. If it's a great action movie that is killing it for a movie of that genre, then it's a ten out of ten. And the same with a comedy, right? If it's a, A great comedy is hard to do. If it was easy to do, Every comedy would be great, so you shouldn't go. Oh, this is uh, this is just juvenile, and it's just uh, a bunch of jokes. You know, it's not worthy of Best Picture. No, if it's a great comedy, then it's a ten out of ten comedy. When I look at Turner and the way they do things, I go, you know what? This is ten out of ten. They're crushing it, according to what this movie is, and I'm not going to whine about how. Charles doesn't know this or Shaq doesn't know this player's name. That's not what this movie is about. That's not what this movie is supposed to be.
1: Yeah. Doris Burke is the Meryl Streep, right? Like, so Mm. the movie is shit, but damn, Meryl Streep was awesome in it, right? Mm. I love Doris. She's awesome. She does a great job. But Doris is like, I improved. Oh, I I have a sophisticated palate. Yeah. I think Doris Burke is is the best. Right. That's how they do it, right? It's like Meryl Streep. It's like that's how you show they. Oh, I'm really into it. like cinema, hey, right? Oh, because Meryl Streep was in. It? Yeah, but the movie wasn't good. If like if Doris that we didn't like. We'd find every way to shoot on the broadcast, but Doris was great at it. Don't worry. And, and again, I, I, that's not me criticizing Doris because I think she's awesome. I think she does a great job. That's me criticizing a group of people who, when they voice their opinion, it's more about signaling what kind of per- what kind of aficionado I am I'm the type of person that I wish Doris Burke could do the play by play and the of analysis
0: that's the insight that it is so naive to think in a social setting uh, that the criticism is the criticism no the criticism is about curating what you're saying according to what kind of person you want to appear to be I know that sounds cynical but I've seen it enough to think that uh, that's really what it's about. So I think your insight is is quite correct there. Dude,
1: that goes back to my Monty Williams thing. It was it was so amazing to me how people in an effort to defend the of this Monty Williams hmm. delved into the very depths of like awful human behavior to express that point. Like I'm, without any hint of irony. Like, fuck you, you motherfucker. Suck my dick. Who the fuck are you the
2: Can you explain the Monty Williams thing? Well, I'll explain it so we can save, I mean, the, the trouble of the... Uh, so Monty Williams, uh, after the NBA finals were over and he lost, uh, he went into the, the Milwaukee Bucks locker room while Giannis Antetokounmpo was holding court and celebrating. The whole team was celebrating and appeared on TV... To be giving a speech to the Milwaukee Bucks saying essentially like, hey, great series. You made me a a better coach. You helped me grow as a coach and I wanted to commend you about your victory and congratulations. And Amin on Levitard afterwards said to the effect a little bit, look at me, Louie guy, like coming in, (laughs) stealing the thunder, like going into the other locker room. Like just, you know what? You can do that on your own. Like you don't have to do that. In in front of the whole team, you could express your gratitude in other ways. That does not mean you have to spoil their celebration. They're having the best moment of their careers, and Monty Williams is inserting himself.
1: It's not even about spoiling. It's just come on. Like we can all admit, hey, he's human, man. You don't think he likes being known as a good guy? Like like, come on, man. Like like, he's not perfect. We all we all have our weaknesses our flaws our desire to be liked by people in a certain way and so for me i think i thought and i still think because i mentioned hey Giannis called him in like I, I, that's the funny thing and the rich Eisen quote was the one that really blew up but i said yeah i know Giannis called him in guess what you ever been to your friend's house and his mom said hey even you gotta stay for dinner and did you ever say oh i can't wait no, no, no you could say Oh, you know what? Thank you. That's all right. It's perfectly fine. I appreciate it, but I got to get going. Like, yeah. just because an invitation was locked doesn't mean you have to gobble it up, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, again, does this make Monty a terrible human being? No. Does he make him a, a fraud? No.
2: Yes, it does. I mean, it makes you a terrible person, too.
1: First of all, the,
0: the, the phrase, look at me, Louie, had me laughing uproariously. This is just so. It's just so
1: funny. I love it. But again, like, my thing was, People got upset, but they didn't want to get upset because I called Monty a fraud, which I didn't. Or I said Monty is just like is no different from the rest of us, which I didn't even do that. I said he is better than all of us. I said that as I preface my point. Doesn't matter. This was an opportunity for people to say, you know, what kind of NBA fan I am. I'm the kind that those Monty Williams is a man of Christ, and he would never, ever, ever let his ego get in the way of sportsmanship.
0: There's something different there, and eventually we'll talk about the draft, I think, maybe. I'll talk about whichever you guys want to talk about, but I think there is something very taboo in the social media setting about undercutting performative sentimentality. and You're just never supposed to do that. If I want to be a conspiracy theorist, I might think that these social media companies love performative sentimentality and performative emotion, and so they want to crush Anybody who might insinuate that it's slightly uh, not altogether real. And so that seems to be the taboo that you ran into right there. You tried to give the caveats for it. And it wasn't even the main thing that you were on that uh, it, main thing you were saying. I, I would have to think, right? It was probably an aside, right?
1: The amazing thing, Ethan, was the number of players, coaches, oh yeah, agents – media people
0: because that's not who done re-
1: hold on <laughs> who reached out to me privately to say one thousand percent you are correct <laughs> yeah. honest to god i should yeah. you guys not and i'm talking about official people i'm not talking about i cover it for sb nation or i'm talking about the real deal motherfuckers are credentialed and do this for a living. Wait, why did sb nation just catch us straight um, i don't know or yard barker, how about that? Not sorry, explanation, Something like yard barker or whatever, right? Because all the little yard barker I don't believe that exists anymore, so that's why it's a good example. All those little assholes, they, oh, a mean <laughs> said something again. Yeah, motherfucker, go back to your other job that actually you pays your fucking rent, right? The real people who work in this league who've covered finals, who covered or or played in finals, or or coached in finals, they all knew what I was saying was real. I had one person, there's only one person who was of that caliber, who texted me and said, nah, man, you're wrong. I think Monty's being sincere in that moment. And I said, you know what, man? Like, I, cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I respect your opinion. I disagree, but I respect your opinion. But everybody else, and I'm not talking about one or two people. I'm talking about multiple people in each one of those categories I just made. They all said the same shit. We all know that shit, man. We all know what we all know where the cameras are, so to speak.
0: What if David Blatt in twenty fifteen had gone into the Warriors locker room to give a speech? That, that would have been- <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> but
1: but, but even you're hitting home the point in that there is no virtue signaling in state, sticking up with David Blatt. Right, right. There's no signal that I can make myself look good at. But oh, give me give me Monty Williams, who beyond being a great human being obviously has a very tragic story having lost his his wife in a in a car crash a few years back and you know kind of had to build himself back up from being you know he was a head coach and he has an assistant coach and then his tragedy hits and then he kind of goes comes back to coaching and this is his great redemption to coach these sons to the finals. It's a great story. So you look good saying that I believe Monty. You look bad if you say Look at me, Louie.
0: I wish the speech had started to bleed into criticism of his own team. Uh, and really yeah.
1: You really exposed <laughs> us for our lack of ability to get our role players going. I remember when Bridges I, only had seven points over the last four games.
0: <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I would be driven home by a teammate of mine and his dad was really hard on him. And so he would praise me for something that I did in the game and then he would turn and he would just start going in on his son. I think he was trying to harden him up. But a a dynamic like that would have been absolutely exquisite. That would have been fantastic.
2: Well, it it, kind of (laughs) – it reminds me of Ethan when you pointed out one time where uh, Steph Curry – Steph Curry was defending KD or Draymond or Draymond was defending so-and-so. it's was like – Yeah, that's not true. I mean, what everyone's saying about how he never passes the ball and he's a selfish guy.
1: It's one of of the great. That's one of the great all-time passive-aggressive take (laughs) downs. What was it, Ethan? What was it?
0: Uh, I know what you're referring to, but it is really funny. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, but that is, that is another way to do that thing. Um, and- where,
2: where it's like you're defending someone, but you're actually lending credence to their, their- – How
0: hard would Monty have had to go for one of the bucks to
2: step in and go, hey, hey,
0: hey, hey. <laughs> like, settle down.
2: <laughs> That's not cool. The way that Drew Holiday really sat on Chris Paul's injured uh injured hand, then Chris Paul wouldn't wouldn't go the other way. You know, Chris you guys came up big in a way I wish
0: I wish uh I wish Aiden had uh, at the end there, but you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no man, you know? I mean I'm just I'm just saying, like, you know what? Like even the best among us have their, their weaknesses, man. And and everybody wants to be like. Everybody, everybody, everybody except me, apparently,
2: except <laughs> you,
0: <laughs> except you and me. I mean, we're the only people, but people I actually mean, like, love- like you
1: Ethan. that's the difference. No, people
0: like me, oh,
1: man. I to- yeah, yeah, you're like, do you remember? Do you remember when you got, when you got laid off, man? Damn, man, the whole world came out to, to say how much you love you distrust.
0: I've said controversial stuff uh since then. I mean, I don't know.
1: I mean, we'll see. What'd you say? Did you, did you write a book or anything? <laughs>
2: There is this like um, existence that I feel like is a – because of how divisive politics has become and because how polarizing the conversations on NBA, Twitter are, is if you slightly criticize someone, you are now on team A or team B, right? Yeah. How polarizing it is, is that it creates this – the divide widens every day. Every day that people acknowledge we can't criticize this person, we can't possibly criticize Monty Williams because that that he's untouchable. every time we go on Twitter, it widens and widens and before you know it, it's like, wait a minute, we can't criticize or point out like, hey, uh LeBron James actually. He's getting old and we need to point out the fact that he's been hurt for like 50% of the games and the Lakers aren't what they used to be. Like like the idea of like Russell Westbrook – so you, Russell Westbrook got traded yesterday to the Lakers and I, would, I retweeted a video of the Lakers not guarding Russell Westbrook, just not guarding him in the playoffs two years ago when the Rockets played the Lakers. And Anthony Davis and LeBron James had the ability to rotate over when Russell Westbrook got an open three-pointer and they all just – camped out in the paint. And I pointed out in the tweet, it was like two years ago in the tweet, there's a little caption about his shooting percentages and how the Lakers weren't guarding him. And when the news dropped that the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook, I just retweeted that old video. It hit me. I was like, oh man, remember how the Lakers used to guard Russell Westbrook, just ignored him on their perimeter. And I just retweeted it, LOL, right? Lakers fans went berserk. Half of the camp was I can't believe we traded for this guy and the other camp was <laughs> the other camp was how dare you he had a triple double or averaged a triple double last year he's going to show you like Russell Westbrook and the Lakers, like, it's going to be a great fit. You don't think that LeBron James knows what he's doing. You don't think that Frank Vogel, championship head coach, knows what he's doing here. Rob Palinka, who turned this franchise around. You don't think that Jeannie Bus and all the rings that the Bus family has created, they don't know what they're doing. You sit in your ivory tower and your Russ-hating ways and shut the fuck up. And I'm like, man— I was just laughing at a video of the Lakers playing defense against Russ two years ago. And people are so, so – it's like anything that is construed as criticism or even poking fun, having fun with it. LOL at how Russell Westbrook at the three-point line, the Lakers are like, yes, please. Any little bit of it, it's a, it's a, it's a felony offense to them.
0: My, my, my read on it is – and it's a funny thing. Um, Twitter is an incredibly negative place, and it is especially negative about negativity. So, <laughs> if you if you say something a little bit critical, uh, there's this irony of this avalanche of negativity being heaped on your. Kind of minor negativity. And so balance
2: it out. The backlash to the
0: backlash. But yeah, I think they're trying to balance it out, but they're all one mob. So they're not balancing it out. It's completely unbalanced and it creates a dynamic where I think people in our profession are just scared to tweet anything at this point. I mean, I've disengaged.
1: But, But there's no, there really is no value to it. Like there's no value you can emerge from other than promotion to something that you've just you've just uh post right that's all that's the only value twitter has like hey new episode of Haber show here's the link we talked to ethan strauss of you know
0: unless you're trying to popularize a concept because then you're sort of engaged in
2: the patino game is is awesome yeah
0: yeah let's say let's say i really wanted the concept that fat is potential in disguise uh to penetrate the national consciousness then i would be using my twitter feed to try to promote that idea a lot of the time and try to get it out there. So that is another use beyond here's my story. You can, if you have some sort of, and I'm using that, because that's almost a very neutral idea. But let's say you're in a more ideological uh, battle. you're Then you're using it to sort of push what your agenda is and how you want to change the culture. And that's one potential use. But most sports writers obviously aren't aren't engaged in that kind of thing. They just want to, be able to talk about the uh, thing they're covering and not get not get too much criticism.
1: I'm telling you, man. Like one of one of the one of the best decisions I ever made in the last couple of years was, oh, like, three like years ago now. Wow, it's been time run five. Join joining Instagram. It is it is a remarkably more positive place. Like, and and I and I, I think I don't think that's because people are positive there. I think it has everything to do with the 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 syntax the format through which things are disseminated and all that you are way more insulated from negativity uh than on Twitter whereas Twitter the negativity seems to be and I'm not someone who gives a shit about negative versus positive like oh it's a negative energy but it's just but it is noticeable it is noticeable
0: the grand irony of Instagram is. It's an instance of the nerds building a place where the jocks win. Like That's what's funny about Instagram is uh, these tech people, these programmers create this mechanism by which the kids who were popular in high school get even more popular because now into their 20s, uh, they can really promote uh, how good looking they are and how they're partying. And I think it does create a, a happier atmosphere relative to Twitter for whatever reason. But that's always been the funny aspect of Instagram to me, at least.
1: There's a level of anger that exists on Twitter that I just don't get. Like, why are you this mad about an opinion? Like, why are you so mad at Tom retweeting a video of something that happened? It wasn't doctors, by the way. <laughs> this was the actual video of this happening, of them playing against him. That's how they did it. And you know what? If it's a true you know, intellectual basketball opinion and you don't agree with it, that's one thing. But also, oh, let's just laugh at it. Let's just laugh at it. It's, it's, at it's it. a joke.
2: Right, right. It's, I wasn't dude. saying, like, so, this is...
1: How- so, yeah. so I'll yeah. give you a great example. Last night, Kendrick Perkins does the Modi Moses, Moses Modi, Modi Moti, Modi. right? He players. does that. On Twitter, it gets retweeted, and there's a zillion replies and like this is why he shouldn't be working. I can't believe they put him on. <laughs> yes. on Instagram. I I posted the video on Instagram. You know what I got? Every comment was just people laughing, That's and Perk funny. himself was like, "Hey man, we all mess up, right?" Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, hey, like just think about it. Like it's, it was a funny moment. It was a yeah. funny moment. That's all it is. That's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be a referendum on like people's worthiness to have the jobs that they have.
0: I saw one last week that was crazy and there were sports writers who got in on it. And look, I, I mean, you can criticize Bob Fitzgerald for a variety of things. I believe it was in reference to Bob Fitzgerald. I don't, they didn't say his name completely, but he compared, I believe it was Sue Bird's passing. I think he said, John Stockton.
1: These people lost their mind. John, <laughs> <laughs> was- their- do you know this? Did you see yeah. this?
2: Buff Fitzgerald, you mean the the Warriors? Warriors. Play he's play doing Buffs. Olympic. Yeah.
0: He's doing Olympic announcing, and okay, he doesn't have any grounding in the WNBA. How could he have grounding in the WNBA? He's announcing the Warriors games every day throughout the season. The guy, I, I, I it's crazy. I'm defending Fitz, but look, the guy's trying his best, right? Um, and maybe he doesn't have totally the grasp on things that you would want. God knows how they have to hire everybody with all the moving parts in an Olympic event. But
1: Even, he didn't. He didn't. He compare. He didn't compare her to Cameron Payne.
0: <laughs> it was literally the the uh, all time assist leader in NBA history. It's like,
1: oh I I I'm sorry. I'm not falling for comparing her to one of the greatest who ever do it at that position, regardless of gender. Right? Like, I mean, just I mean, by by that token, if you had compared her to Let's see, what was everyone's darling? Uh yeah, compared to, to uh Luka sure. to Magic Johnson. or to Magic. Luka. We should we should we should have gotten equally upset, right? I it's ridiculous. That,
0: I think there was this weird tinge in how it is that uh that John Stockton was in an anti-vax documentary. And so oh, there okay. was a little bit of that flavor. So he's
2: been canceled. And so
0: Sue, yeah. so it's gotcha. like, I don't want to think about John Stockton and the context of Sue Bird, even though that's gotcha. not what, it was like Bob Fischer. I was like, Sue Bird avoids the screen, like Stockton avoiding <laughs> a vaccine. That was it, <laughs> what was in their head.
1: Like if we're canceling John Stockton,
2: but that's not the comments Super threading the needle, like John Stockton avoids it. But I don't think the the criticism of Fitz in that moment, I don't think was how dare he compare her to an anti-vaxer. It was
1: how dare he compare her to a man, <laughs>
2: like, a man that we don't like right
0: now, like a man that we we we, we don't like right now. But I
1: don't yeah. I don't think that I don't think that part was verbalized necessarily in the outrage. That the reason why we don't like, no,
0: it. but I but I saw it in a bunch of the the responses because I was puzzling over it and going, this is so such a strange reaction, and
1: it, it, it's just one of those things where it's just like, you know what, man, not every moment is a moment to get upset. And also, the other thing is, it goes back to the conversation we started this with about what do you, how do you want your coverage to look like, right? Like if you compare her, if you're Bob Fitzgerald and you're calling the fucking Olympics, this isn't this isn't a, a and August, uh, like, it's game of the night on T- on ESPN. This is the goddamn Olympics. The number of people who turn it on, who don't know shit about shit, just see USA and, like, I'm watching this. You have to use shit they've heard of. They can't, they can't goddamn broadcast it for the 500,000 people who know, or like, who Tisha Pinocero was. They're, they're going do this for the goddamn people who haven't watched basketball. Forget about WNBA basketball. Everybody basketball in years. John Stockton's a name that most of middle America knows. Please
2: Please can we just stop yelling? I mean, it's the mic is just getting so hot, so hot. <laughs> but it's reflective of passion.
1: It adds something
0: to it. But yeah, the mic is hot right now. It, it is boiling.
2: <laughs> I love what you're saying. I mean, I love the commentary. But
1: I'm in a car. I'm in a car, and it's a hundred degrees. And I, I'm working <laughs> the AC because it's very loud. I, I'm I'm trying. Okay. I know. I know. But I don't just- want to be here. Did I, did I mention that? <laughs>
0: I hope it was Bob Fitzgerald they were talking
2: about, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, hey, Maze, if it's not Bob and if it's uh if it's Ryan Ruco or something it, like that. It was like- somebody <laughs> they
0: were mad at. They were mad okay. at somebody. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, let's let's shift let's shift here because um, I found it interesting. Owen Phillips is one of my favorite analysts in the NBA blogosphere, if we want to even call it that anymore. In the in the newsletter era, Owen Phillips is is one of the best, if not the best, ones going in the NBA because he takes, he, he's an incredibly good data illustrator, and he and he gets his data in crazy places. He's able to grab huge oceans of data and present it very clearly and succinctly. Where you're like, oh my, I've never thought of it that way. What Elwin Phillips did on his uh, F5 blog or his newsletter F5 is he read a lot of commentary about the ratings and how the ratings are down, but he felt like it might be an outdated metric to capture the audience's engagement with the NBA Finals. And so he thought, what if I took all the Reddit posts in the NBA Reddit and tracked how many posts are made every day and see if the commentary or the post or the activity in Reddit reflects a decline, a similar decline in the ratings. And what he found was, contrary to what I think a lot of people think, is that not just TV ratings are down, but the actual conversation about the NBA or the activity about the NBA on Reddit. As Reddit is a proxy for just engagement, activity, interest in the NBA. And I found that interesting also, because Mark Cuban commented on that. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Sharp, Mr. Shark Tank. Thanks for hit, clarifying hit. that. <laughs> yeah, my audience when The guy
1: that like, been at broadcast.com, Mark Cuban? Yeah. That, guy's, that guy's still around? The guy, the guy was
2: on Entourage? That guy? <laughs> he commented and said, have you considered looking at Discord? And there's another one, Ethan. What was the other ha- one? I don't even. It doesn't wow. even matter anymore. Yeah, no, you're, like, you're
1: already scraping. If you say, have you considered it, checking it, this one? He's book, not doing
0: saying? them any favors. He's just all he's doing is draw, shining a light on the uh, on the thing that I don't think that he wants a light shined on. It's I, I hey credit to him, I guess for just being active and talking a lot and yeah. trying to get his message out there. But I don't think he's helped them with this because he's been on this for about a, at least over a year now where when the news has been bad, trying to fight against, he would call it a narrative. I would just call it reality. Um, and I don't think that it's been good. I mean, he had his Waterloo. He went on Megyn Kelly's podcast and humiliated himself. I mean, that was uncomfortable.
1: To listen I, to. Look, I didn't even know Megyn Kelly had a podcast. what happened.
0: He went on there and they were talking about a variety of things and the ratings were brought up and it was right after the NBA finals of last year, which, of course, was way down. It was way down for various reasons, including pandemic and October and all of that. But it was not what they wanted it to be. And it seemed like he was trying out some of the rejoinders that work on Twitter, because on Twitter, you can kind of have a little snapback and that's where it is and you can walk away from the situation whenever you want to walk away from the situation and i think one of the ones he had was that the kentucky derby was down and so he was saying oh the kentucky derby was down is that because horses were too woke which is i guess something that he used on twitter but in that setting it didn't really work and then she had follow-ups
1: what was the rebuttal that that defeated that uh that one particular trope. Tactic.
0: Well, she just had all the data on. She has had all the stats and she has kept <laughs> that's reading. They don't have,
1: that's what they don't have on Twitter, by the way. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and, and, and by the end, he was kind of meekly admitting that the numbers weren't what he wanted it to be, but it was just, this isn't due. Do- and then he also, the China stuff was a disaster when he was being grilled on that. And I guess in a way, credit to him that he's willing to go into an adversarial circumstance and, and be questioned, but it it doesn't seem to help them because it's almost like you're, you're watching a billionaire who has a lot of people around him who validate everything he's doing. um, And then he just continues to talk very loud in a way that I don't, I don't think is, is, is helpful. Like when you're talking about, like, have you looked at discord? Have you looked at.
1: Here's the issue. If you're Mark Cuban, there is a, I think, a kernel a grain of truth on your side. But it's the truth that it is, is it's not as bad as you guys think it is. But that still means it's bad. It's just not quite as bad. So Ethan might say the sky is falling, and Mark even the best what, I no, no, I'm I, just what, saying. I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah. I'm just well, I'm hypothetical, but I hypothetically. Thought, yeah. Hypothetically, you might say the sky is falling. And Mark Cuban's going to say, no, 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 not the sky, just a certain crust of the atmosphere, <laughs> which is okay. It it's not the entire sky, it's just a certain crust of the atmosphere. But that, that, that still in and of itself includes an admission yeah. that things aren't necessarily going the way we want it to. And so when that is your best recourse, as not the commissioner of the league, right, as someone who is trying to fight back against this narrative, being silent is probably the wiser choice. Then open your mouth and just make it worse by saying, well, what about Discord?
0: Yeah, Yeah, It's There's a reason he's the only owner really
1: doing that. Well, I think most of them don't understand that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying as far as fighting this battle out in public in the way that he's doing it. And the reason he's doing it is very obvious. And it's that the NBA wants to get a TV deal, and it probably helps them to get a TV deal if the culture – in the culture, there's more of a, a sense that they're on the ascent versus on the decline. And you might go, well, hey, doesn't Bob Iger and all these guys, don't they have the real numbers? So why should they be swindled? And yeah, but they're human beings. you know. If they're reading a bunch of news coverage that the NBA is on the rise, then that's going to give them more of a sense of, okay, we need to bid this thing up versus if the opposite is happening. So I think that's what's going on right there. And uh, the only frustration for me on these issues is I feel like I call balls and strikes, but the conversation is so skewed towards bullshit that then it seems, and I guess this is the theme of what we're talking about, that your moderate criticism is, oh my God, uh, the NBA is never going to be watched by anybody. I mean, I think, look, there is a positive story to tell about the last NBA season. For one, they actually had a season. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't guaranteed for an indoor sport. And, in a way they're not getting enough credit for it and i think they're not getting enough credit for it is because they can't even they can't even promote the idea that it was difficult to do because they want there to be a sense that things are safe and things are taken care of they can't really promote the idea of Oh God, this was almost goddamn impossible uh, getting this done because of how much the virus spreads indoors. I mean, do you, do you understand that (laughs) people potentially who might buy tickets for next season, do you people who might buy tickets for next season possibly understand how contagious this deadly disease is uh, in an indoor facility where we hold our games?
2: Just making sure (laughs) this roller coaster is safe for you, man, like so much. Wow. the legal
0: liability to just make sure we don't get sued for exposing you guys to all the risk is just, anyway, we did a great job. We don't get yeah. credit for it. Yeah. So that in and in of itself, and I think that Giannis winning it the way he won it, how he's setting up this grand contrast of uh, me, hard scrabble Giannis versus the super teams. I think that's all very helpful for them going forward. And To be clear, my my assessment, I think, of the NBA and viewership uh, is very simple. It's not that the sky is falling. uh, It's that it fell. Now, you can rebuild the sky. You know, you can can prop that sky up. There's no guarantee that you're here forever. But they did indeed lose half of their viewership uh, over within a decade and more so precipitously in the past few years. I mean, that is just what happened and no amount of cope. No amount of oh, look at this poll that we just did, or oh, look at these tweets and look at these stats. It's like it's it's just no. It's it's a very simple truth of audience flight domestically in the United States. That is what happened, and it it's happened before. The NBA has peaks and valleys.
2: I was talking to my buddy, and uh, he, I was like, "Yeah, uh, Files really, you know." Bucks really did a good job fighting back. I think it was like 2-2 or whatever. And he's like, yeah, man, um, it's, I think it's really good. You know, even though LeBron and Steph aren't playing, it's really good that, uh, you know, you have some fresh faces in there, Devin Booker and Chris Middleton and Giannis. And I was like, yeah, um, did you watch last night's game? No, no, (laughs) I didn't watch, you know, it's, it's late and like, man, I got kids (laughs) And I was like, but if it was LeBron and Steph, would you watch? He's like, oh, yeah, for sure. I like the idea of it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've told a story about like watching these finals and my kid who's as casual as it gets, can't name 20 players probably. Uh, my kid says, it's watching, watching, looking it's like, where's Clay Thompson? <laughs> and, and I'm like, that, that sums it up perfectly, right? Because the Warriors are so ubiquitous. That my child does not watch basketball unless I've got it on TV and my kid walked in the room and felt like watching something on a screen that wasn't an iPad. That's the only way there's basketball being watched by this human being. And yet the name Clay Thompson stuck through in a way that literally no one other than Chris Paul and Giannis do. My kid doesn't know anybody else other than Chris Paul and Giannis. Maybe Devin Booker, maybe.
2: Yeah, because it's like, isn't that the problem, Ethan, there? Is that people will talk about how it's good for the league. And in the long run, maybe it does. The, the, the seeds have been planted that in five years, Devin Booker will be Kobe Bryant. and It's an investment. It will be like, man, remember that 2021 NBA Finals when he struggled here and there? But he got that exposure and he learned that the ascent began in 2021 and it's been good. But I, I just worry that most people are going to get in the habit of like, being part of the conversation of the NBA and not actually watching the NBA.
0: The Warriors were unusual because they were ubiquitous before they won the championship. They they, they were this phenomenon, lightning in a bottle thing that people were into. And I mean, they, they went up against LeBron and... Average of 20 million people watch that first finals that the Warriors were in. And that wasn't just because of LeBron. That was a hell of a lot more people than watch LeBron. 20. And what did – and this year it was averaged under 10? It was 9.9 million. Um, and we get into the nerdy stat, uh, stats of it. Really, that's with a likely 10% bump because now they count every restaurant, sports bar, hospital – airport lounge in America towards the ratings, so it's inflated by 10%. So, fewer than half of what watched Warriors Warriors, Cavs 2015.
1: This is what I'll point out about the Warriors. One, they had been good for a couple of years. And that's important because Steph Curry becoming a national thing that people were excited about was important versus, again, other than Chris Paul, this Suns team was a team of unknowns. Nobody knows them. there haven't been a playoffs in 10 years. There's the longest drought followed by a trip to the conference finals, let alone the finals in NBA history, right? So y- y- you mix that with, again, just a, a, uh, the, obviously playing LeBron will always bring attention. And so, Tom, what you're talking about is theoretically, yes, I will, I will take a step back today to know that five years from now, I've taken a massive step forward, and I'm talking from an NBA rating standpoint. In the same way that 2012, the Oklahoma City Thunder go to the finals, and it's hard to remember now, but back then, a lot of casuals didn't know who Russell Westbrook was, or who yeah. Kevin Durant was. Like maybe Durant, a cup from a Sonic commercial, or you know. But like it was largely for the casual basketball fan, doodle job, not much of a of a of a household name. But because of those finals. And because of their ensuing excellence, they became household names. So, yes, in some circumstances, works. If the Suns go back to being middling or just okay, then this is just an L. And there's no two ways to cut it.
0: I, I think it's a lot better for the NBA – and we're we're just having this conversation. People try to police this conversation. Are like, I don't care what's good for the NBA. And it's like, okay, well then have another conversation somewhere else. This is the conversation we're having.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, what well, if you don't like McDonald's, and stop eating at McDonald's, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just yeah, it, this is I think better for the NBA that Giannis and the Bucks won it because they were part of this multi-year arc and Giannis had such emotion. Oh, it's such a good story. It's such it, it, a good it was, story. It felt. It just felt real. It felt cool. I think it kind of. It kind of. St- it, it. It made him in a way. And if the Suns had won it, I don't. It would have been okay. I guess it's cool that Chris Paul finally won it, but it, it doesn't feel like the part of a continuing story. So I think it was way better for the NBA that the Bucks won than that the Suns won. I know if you're a Suns fan, you're mad about that potentially, but that's just how I see it. I didn't care who won. But
1: even. I I think you the way because some people are gonna take that and read something different in what you said, meaning, oh, because they uh, built, not bought. Like no, no, has nothing to do with that. Nobody gives a fuck. You might give a fuck because it's not your team, but the reality is nobody cares. The reality is what Ethan is saying is that Milwaukee was a team that was knocking on the door, right? And what had built that to that crescendo of we got a guy who won MVP twice. We got a bunch of guys that were all defensive team. We've got all-stars. We got like America. I'm not saying they are household names, but they weren't complete unknowns. Um, And that is rewarding for the NBA because it tells you, hey, keep watching because you never know when this little team that could will grow to one day be a champion as opposed to team that comes up out of nowhere. Flash in the pan and then disappears afterward. That's bad for business. We're all about the investment. The investment to pay off year after year.
0: Yeah, and the Suns were a cool team. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the Suns are a very cool team, and I think they will be with us for a while. But you were saying, Tom?
2: Yeah, I was saying to that point, Ethan, is that the Suns? I think by going to the finals with one trade, I think is going to perpetuate interest throughout the league in a way that um, may not be the Bucks level the magnitude that the Bucks are gonna raise interest for their story. But the idea of like right now, I mean, when we do when we do Lebatard, like a lot of the commentary is like, who's the next Phoenix Suns? And you can group a lot more teams as who's the next Phoenix Suns than who's the next Milwaukee Bucks. There's only a few teams that can be the Milwaukee Bucks winning 60 games every year. But there's 15 teams that are missing the playoffs every year that you can say, "Hey, if they get one if they get Kyle Lowry here or if they get Mike Conley here or if they get this one trade, maybe they can propel themselves into a finals run." The issue there is I don't know how replicable or or how how, how much of a blueprint the Phoenix Suns, if it's just, just an aberration that it's just a fool's gold for all these other teams to think that they're one step away, one move away from doing what the Suns did, if that's going to actually set a lot of teams back. So
0: Chris Paul, as an older union president, has made so much money for guys like Chris Paul, uh, not just in the rules that he has passed and gotten past, but now in just using this as an example – there are going to be teams looking for their Chris Paul, who's going to vault them and get their youngins up the speed. But I I agree with what you're saying, Tom, that this might not be replicable, but I do think there's a lesson that is replicable, which is that you can't just rely on your young players to mature into a juggernaut. You do need this sort of hybrid of young and old in order to make it happen. And I think that that wasn't as accepted as a, as wisdom now is it I mean I, before as it is now
1: because of Chris Paul that's what he's supposed to do as union president right?
2: you know I think the moment that it turned where Giannis became such a transformative figure as like the face of the NBA is when he said I could have gone to a super team but I didn't I could have taken the easy way out it's one thing to win the championship but it's another to lean in in a very WWE way of like I'm I'm team NWO, and over there is this other, like, the fact that he became this heel against the super team movement, I feel like was great theater, and it's great for fans to be like, you know
1: what? Hey, you know where I've seen this movie before, Tom? The Dallas Mavericks? No, 2010, uh, D- Kevin Durant.
2: Well, Dirk Nowitzki, I feel like, could have been the Giannis
1: here. It's more Durant. Like, Durant won over so many people when he signed his extension with no options, talking about yeah, oh, I don't yeah. do that shit. And da da da. Quietly,
2: right? it was like overnight, like a quiet little thing that from OKC, and yeah,
1: that's how Durant built built a lot of his national goodwill. Ironically, of course, that's how he lost it uh, five or six years later. Uh, Damian Lillard, same thing. Like uh, Derek Rose, same thing. These guys, there is a value in being the built, not bought guy. Until you realize. Yo, I've made a terrible mistake. You're <laughs> a <team from> Joe. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend.
0: <laughs> but it's a little different because Giannis ultimately won it, and now he can kind of present as that guy. And I do yeah. think that contrast, I do think that's good for the sport. And then him doing it, scoring fifty, I'm, it was just it sets up the next season really well. Uh, I think the the league needs. The league needs the Warriors to maybe come through. Yeah, God knows what's going to happen there. God knows.
1: Let me say something funny right here. Also, Giannis better personality than KD.
0: Yes, for the fan, not as a human being, but like for the fan.
1: For ever, as as selling a product, selling this game. Giannis better than KD. KD is morose. Is uh, you know he's snap. He's uh, he's irritable. He's sensitive. He's reactionary. Uh, and Giannis is like none of those things. It projects none of those things. Giannis projects joy and happiness and gratitude and self-deprecation. Um, and I think that that's another big difference there.
0: Oh, I mean, with KD, it's the strange. And I do think it motivates him to a certain extent, this idea of, I'm going to be so incredible at basketball. That nothing else is going to matter. It doesn't. Everybody is just going to have every everybody's going to have to bend to my
1: will. They will. That can be true. Also, you're not good at selling. You're not as good at selling this thing as that guy.
0: But that comes through in a way, and it's uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's a strange thing to sell the game. I wrote about it in my uh, in my book, The Victory Machine. It does create this issue for the NBA if the greatest player looks miserable, right? Because we are renting self-esteem when we watch these these games, and especially kids are. And the idea is that you're going to win, and you're going to Disneyland, and you've achieved the glory of glories, and you're going to live happily ever after. And if we know that actually you're you're just as miserable as before, then we're just we we have less we have less interest in being along for the journey versus Giannis scoring fifty points and looking
2: like he had won. The- Chick Fil A was huge, man. The
1: chi- give me fifty, not forty nine, and not fifty one.
2: It was amazing.
1: That is a level of like super duper innately gets it, gets what gets the people going. And I like that you said self-esteem because ultimately that's... Because I was thinking about, yeah, man, we want joy out of our superstars. Oh, like, yeah. Was Michael really joyful? Was Kobe really joyful? And I realized it's not joy that we want. Security. It's self-assuredness, right? Like, yeah. Michael never gave a shit what people thought. Or he did. He just didn't show it. Right? He did care. He just didn't show it. And I think the biggest thing about Kevin Durant is that he shows it, even if everybody else feels the same way, but they don't let that get out. They keep it internalized or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. And he was uh,
0: six inches from beating Giannis is the other crazy thing looking back on it.
2: But that that's you could go throughout history and do that. The six inches thing. Uh Quotes taken out of context. Uh- <laughs> no. no. Uh, Ethan, can we do a couple minutes on the Warriors? Because um, part of, part of I think, this transition that you're making uh, job-wise, um, there's an announcement coming soon. I think it's fair to say that you're not going to be covering the day-to-day 10th man on the, on the roster of the Golden State Warriors as much as you used to. Is that fair to oh, say? Oh, man.
1: Hold on. My I Justin, do Ethan's, Ethan's Justin Holiday misses were some of my favorite work of his.
2: Oh, but what about the Kevon Looney? What You weren't Looney for Looney? <laughs> but Ethan, you're Adam Silver in the sinister way of, I'm going to direct the best thing possible for the NBA. I'm going to rig it for the Warriors' comeback. Back to prominence in this free agency or trade carousel, what is the move that you think would be earth-shattering for the NBA, the best possible turnout outcome for the Warriors this
0: summer? I don't have a good answer to that. I already think they missed the window. I mean, that that envelope should have been chilly on draft night. That envelope was a little too warm. (laughs) They got pick seven in a five-player draft. And to be clear, when I say five-player draft, I'm not talking about which players will actually pop and become superstars. I'm talking about guys teams are excited about like teams were excited about picks one through five. So when you see Bob Myers saying, Hey, we were calling all over trying to trade this seventh pick and it, it, nothing really was coming back to us. I think he's being honest. I think he's being candid because I do think that was the situation. There was picks one through five, obviously with uh with Cade at the top and then you can flip the rest of the guys in whichever order, but once you started getting into the thunder at pick six saying, oh, we're going to take a shot on Giddy, uh, that's the moment in the draft where teams are just taking their shots and trying their contrarian uh, methodologies and really kind of uh, furrowing their brows and trying to find the right guy. And with Kaminga, it's the sort of idea of what he can be, but it's not like anybody saw him in the G League
1: and was wowed. Yep. Wait, uh, so maybe I'm reading this wrong. But... I looked at the Warriors draft of Kuminga and Modi Moses, 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 Modi, Modi, and I saw. Oh yeah, the, those are the guys you draft. Yeah. When you when you plan on not keeping them, like who has the highest value at that stage? It's the youngest guy who's got the most potential, and and that's who you draft, when you have zero zero intention of keeping. I
0: think both those statements can be true and can coexist with with what I'm saying, which is that it was a draft where there was a tremendous amount of interest from teams in picks one through five. And also Kuminga seems like the biggest name, the guy who had the most pedigree going in, I think an RSCI ranking of four out of high school. Uh, So he's more tradable. Plus big wing is what teams crave.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's all true. How much can they do this, Ethan? Because they did that with D'Angelo Russell with the with the Andre Iguodala, right? It's like just wait, just wait. We're gonna turn this piece, this asset into D'Angelo Russell, and then we're gonna flip D'Angelo Russell into Domingo. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins. Okay, hold on. We're gonna flip this to. All right, Hold on. Just wait even longer. alright We're going to flip this into wise. We're going to flip this and, and it just keeps perpetuating itself where it's like what they're saying is trust us. We're going to flip this into a championship caliber piece and it just keeps going and I don't know if the time is up here because Steph Curry could be a free agent this summer, next summer, right? Clay Thompson might not come all the way back. Draymond Green not to be cliche about it, not getting any younger. So I wonder how much they can kick the can down the road and say, trust us, we're going to get that piece before it's too late.
1: Well, well, let's let's narrow it down. One of the things that came out yesterday was reportedly the Warriors turned down an offer for Ben Simmons that involved the poo-poo platter of Andrew Wiggins, Wiseman, the two picks, and two future firsts. And so for what all everyone says about Ben Simmons and his inability and his lack of desire to shoot, you're talking about a guy who's elite defensively and whose assists led to more three pointers than any other player in the league. I kind of feel like, why the fuck are you keep it holding on to two future first when you know you got a closing window with the guys you had? Are you surprised they didn't pull the trigger, Ethan, to get Ben Simmons despite the steep asking price?
0: Based on my conversations with people in that organization, I am not surprised at the balking. And Simmons is a divisive player. I think you're very pro-Simmons. And I don't think that—I'm not saying that you're wrong to be, but he's a polarizing player. And I I agree with you that generally they've got a timeline problem. They've got a timeline issue. They need to align it if they're going to win a championship with this core. Um, And maybe, to what you're saying, there's not enough hunger to get on that timeline. Certainly some of the (laughs) comments made by Bob Myers were strange about looking beyond— the court mm. right now and Steph and all of those and what, mm. what, what was that I missed that I, it's hard for me to recapitulate what he was saying but I think he was it's a good one hinting at the idea that they're not just thinking about this particular window that you need to think beyond you need to think beyond it and we know that the Lakers love their draft picks and they love love their development and so there might be a little too much of trust-the-process-warriors version uh, when I think a lot of the fan base...
2: We're not going to chase wins, essentially. <laughs> Maybe.
0: I mean, and I think a lot of the fan base, and especially uh, number 30, would like them to hurry the fuck up.
1: See, and, and to me, but that's, that's that's the point. It's not about the fan base, and it's not about... It's about number 30 because we talked about this a couple of years ago when he signed his current deal. When he was coming up, they were like, whispers of, hey, maybe they'll ask him to take less so it'll be easier for them to keep them together. And, and the response was you fuck around by one penny on this shit. And I don't give a shit what, what, what happens to me and this family. I'm the fuck out of here. And so they were like, uh, just kidding.
0: Chases the building Steph built.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, just kidding, here's all your money. So I think now, this time around, it's not don't fuck around by one penny. It's don't fuck around with how you're building this team, like and and I think most people, because Steph is nice and Steph is smiley and Steph is friendly, Steph is cuddly. Steph would never break our hearts and go somewhere. Out, you you're know, out of your mind. In a heartbeat, that dude would leave. In a heartbeat, I think that dude would leave. If not, not just like haphazardly, but if he felt like the the the, the they didn't keep the main thing, the main thing. He's not going to sign on the baby. To be clear,
0: I don't think he's looking for a reason. I don't think that he wants to leave, but he definitely wants them to make sure that he can win some more championships. And if they're not going to do that, it's a problem.
2: Do you think that's it? Like, do you think the driving force for Stephen Curry here is about winning championships, or do you think it's yes? Well, let me let me finish here. Do you think it's reciprocating? Something he feels like he's owed.
0: I think it's the championships. I think that there is there, there okay. is some of that stuff. There is always going to be some of that stuff, but I do think that that's that's his pathway towards greatness is piling those up, and that's why he accepts Kevin Durant coming to the Warriors back then, even though it would maybe hurt his status as an individual. Uh, it's it's to be basketball Derek Jeter, whatever kind of whatever kind of comparison you want to make. And so yeah, he wants he wants the titles. That's that's what he's into. And it's been two years of kind of dawdling.
1: Two years did you look at me. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my.
0: <laughs> they were such a one hit. This <laughs> is a bare naked ladies reference out of nowhere.
2: I'm surprised that, that was their only hit. I don't know. Not one hit, man. They've got some others, like If I had a million dollars.
1: I've never heard that song in my life.
0: I've never heard that song.
2: You've never heard that that song? If I had a million dollars. It just seemed
0: like they should have had more of an extended moment.
2: I'd I'd be be rich. rich.
0: Thank you, Mace. Well, I didn't know about it. I know I got an audience in Maze. It was such a happy time—the late '90s. Uh,
2: just Ali. Oh, this is one of my favorite Ethan. Ethan rants because yes. Michael
1: Jordan was winning championships and Bill Clinton. No, the was-
2: economy. No, it's the economy. The economy was, was
0: is better. I mean, American Pie. The final scene is Eugene Levy dancing to that bare naked lady song. Uh, just happily. Uh, all, look, it was it was a
2: different time. His eyebrows are bouncing about. It's yes. bouncing about. It.
1: Every time he says it, it was a different time, it's a happier time. You know what song plays in my head, right?
2: What? dum
0: dum
1: dum 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 Anytime Ethan has any sort of retrospective, we're in a helicopter. I'm reminded of the
0: Quagmire uh, Vietnam flashbacks where the only problem with Vietnam is that Fortunate Son plays all the time. <laughs> drives me insane.
1: You know, by the way, speaking of Quagmire, I just want to say really quick. We talked about the, I, I did, I, Tom, I did this last time, but I'll do it for Ethan because I know he'll yeah. get the reference. We talked about like obviously the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook, and that package originally was meant to go get Buddy Heel. Right, but We thought there were strong indications that Buddy Hill was headed to the Lakers for Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell. And the next thing you know, it's Russell Westbrook. And I said Buddy Hill was a quagmire when he thought he was going to get his spin-off. <laughs> and so i all going, yeah, see you later, dicks. with your chicken jokes and your, your worst defense in NBA history. Why is there a moving truck outside Russell Westbrook's house?
0: It's like Barkley thinking he was going to get traded to the Lakers back in the day. Yeah, and Getting yeah. totally drunk and having to play. Uh, The next, the next game. Uh, Oh, but Warriors, what were we talking about with Warriors? Yeah, I, I do think, I do wonder if they are, if they are so aligned with Steph on it. I think that's the big question. I also, I also would say, because I think when I look at some of the fan base reactions, yes, they should get on that timeline. Yes, they need to do that if they want to win a championship. That doesn't mean there's a great deal on the table. If you don't think that the Simmons deal is a great deal, for instance, right, uh, there might not be a good one beyond that. So the, the opportunity might not be there. And it's the bounce of the lottery ball. It's it's Minnesota winning too many games. But I do think they're in a different circumstance if that pick is four and five versus pick seven. I do think that's a huge huge difference.
2: But that's the risk in making those deals though, right? Is like, hey, next year we've got this top four protected pick. like, But what if it falls to seven in a five player draft? So there is a gamble in just keeping that perpetual, wait, wait till next year, wait till next year. And then suddenly next year comes and it's the 2011 Cleveland Cavs where it's like, wait a minute, he just left and now we're stuck with
0: And one of the issues when you think about Kaminga and why he's a guy you deal. um, Okay. So two thoughts. First thought, I think I underrated LaMelo ball in part because I underrated the ability to just, if you have an a plus skill, you can build on that. Herm Edwards, we can build on this. And he had that a plus really two a plus level skills with the handle and the passing. And then you can build around that. And I'm, I'm concerned when I just nobody can tell me what is it that this guy does. That's that's amazing. Um, and with Kaminga, he looks prototypical and you hear maybe you he can have the trajectory of a Jalen Brown.
2: Oh, man. <laughs>
0: nobody yeah. is saying that this this is the thing that this guy does. That's so incredible. And I get a little concerned about that. And then secondarily, these wings often do pop in the way that a Jalen Brown does or did but it takes them a while. And what the Warriors don't have is a while. And so maybe Kaminga becomes that two way wing who is a max level player, but that might be four years, five years down the line. And that just doesn't that just doesn't work. So it's hard to look at the that pick that they made and say that's going to help them immediately. Maybe Moody can help quicker just because I love I love the look of his of his shot and it's compact and so maybe he can help them a little sooner even though he has such a he doesn't have as high a ceiling but that's the other thought when I see those picks
2: well the blank slate wing these aren't perfect uh, analogies here or comparisons for the ones that didn't pan out but like Again, I'm going to pump up Owen Phillips here. He did a post about where are they now, former lottery picks from 2007 to 2020. Here are the number two picks from 08 to 012. Or sorry, 012. From 08 to 12. 08
0: to 012. Wait, before I, I'm going to say the guys who busted in my memory from that era were the, power, the scoring power forwards. But And I don't
2: want to see what you say because that was just my, my quick impression. Yeah, but yeah. like Michael Beasley. Okay, Hashim the beat, Evan Turner, MKG. Right, like the idea mm. of MKG being this like he plays hard. He's got all these. He can he can play defense, but he has a broken shot. But what if we fix it? The broken shot. We we got a chance with this guy. The ceiling, right? That we talk a lot about potential uh, with him. The same deal. Um, The same deal with Kaminga where it's like he doesn't have that one particular skill, but hey, he's young and we can develop it. But what if it doesn't happen? Yeah. Like we talk about a lot of these players, like we talk Jalen Brown, best case scenario, he's Jalen Brown. That's fine if you want to say best case scenario, he's Jalen Brown. The problem you get into is saying that's the expectation now. It's it's why Mike Schmitz I think might be the best draft analyst in the game. But I cringe when he says – that Kate Cunningham is Luka Doncic upside and his floor is Chris Middleton. Mm. And I'm like, yo, Kate Cunningham. That's a big spread, by the way. <laughs>
0: it's not though. No. I mean, Chris Middleton's like an all-star-level player. You're saying his
2: floor is an all- multi-year all-star? Kate Cunningham? That's incre- like that's incredible. Like, are we? Like that, if your floor is an all NBA champion, I mean, if you tell me a guy is a combo of those two players, I
0: think, holy shit, that's an incredible player. <laughs> if you combine those guys as a hybrid.
2: That's a huge bar, man. That is a huge bar to clear. Like Wiggins,
1: but he's a number one overall pick too. Like it shouldn't. Comparing him, saying his floor is a number is a multi-time All Star. Not like the all-star because he was absolutely dominant, but like one of those, I'm a good player on the best team in the league all-star. Right? That's that's a certain kind of an all-star. Right? That's the that's the Wally Zerbiak style all-star, right? I'm a good player on the best team in the league. Jeff Teague, all-star, right? I don't think that's too high of a bar for the number one overall pick. Not at all. I don't think. Now to say he reminds me of Luka Doncic, that's the, I, I keep going back to this, man. Luka Doncic was the 18-year-old MVP of the second best basketball league in the world. He is, to this day, obviously I wasn't scouting when LeBron was was a prospect. He is, to this day, the single best prospect I've ever seen. The single most surefire prospect I've ever seen. Luka Doncic. It, it's not even close. And that includes Durant. I'm not saying he's better than Durant or he's going to be better than Durant. I'm saying... Watching Durant as an 18-year-old and watching Luka Doncic as an 18-year-old, I had zero, zero qualms or questions about Luka. So to compare Cade Cunningham to that, that's pretty strong. Like Now, as you said, Mike is awesome at his job. And he, he, he watches these guys. And so I, I'm going to choose to look at that as, shit, Cunningham's Cunningham better be good as shit. Right, just say something like that. I'll give Mike credit; he was
0: pretty early in, uh, on the Lamello thing, um, and so that—that's a lot of credibility um, from my perspective. Uh, so, but yeah, that's that's tough. That's that's a high bar. That's it's a very high bar.
2: That, yeah, it is a high bar, and I mean, like the number one overall pick, the expectation is you're going to be a superstar, right? You're absolutely right about that. I just think that we need to look at reality and face the fact that. Over the last twenty years, or I should say, from nineteen ninety to two thousand and ten, the number one pick didn't become an all star thirty three percent of the time. I think that's higher than what most people would
1: imagine. Yeah. So basically, two thirds, two thirds of the number one overall pick. All-star. Right. The
2: average output on a number one overall pick is four and a half all stars. That's the be- that's the average. Okay two-thirds, two-thirds of those, or one-third of those number one picks do not even get to the All-Star game. So just to go back to Owen's chart, Greg Oden, Derek Rose, Blake Griffin, John Wall, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Towns, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, DeAndre Ayton, Zion Williamson, Anthony Edwards. You can see there's pretty big range here, right? That if he becomes, Cade and becomes... Chris Middleton, I don't think that's, like, the worst-case scenario, right? That can't be worst-case scenario.
1: Like, what you just said, I felt like is more supportive of my point. Because if you're telling me the average number one overall pick goes on to be at least a four-time All-Star, and Middleton's been, what, two-time All-Star? Then calling Middleton his, his floor, while it's not, obviously, you know, it can always be worse, but, like, that's also not crazy that's not crazy and 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 by the way like, if you look at Cunningham and his resume and, and compare him to the number 1 overall picks that didn't pan out uh, it's it's not close right he, anthony bennett was nowhere near as accomplished as a player entering the draft as kate cunningham was and was dealing with injury issues um, uh, uh, greg oden obviously injured, if they don't look hurt he's probably he's probably uh perennial all-star in this league um uh what were some of the other names that you mentioned uh markel fultz again was a guy that was was just a dude and blew up in his freshman year in college and became the number one overall pick so it's like if we start to try to compare who are the comps? the guys who had similar resumes entering the draft by and large those guys have panned out from an all-star perspective now some of them are like looking, tracking like Hall of Famers, and some of them are tracking like, uh, you know, decent guy. But using that as a rubric and comparing him to Chris Middleton as a floor, again, that's basically saying there's no chance he doesn't pan out. And with every player, there's always a chance he doesn't pan out. Hence Greg Oden. But I don't think it's a ridiculous floor. It's not like saying the floor is Luka and the ceiling is LeBron. Then I'm thinking like, yo, that's relax. Pump the brakes a bit.
2: The average is four and a half. The median is three. So I guess it's it's the same story
1: again. Still, Middleton is le- a less than three time off But that's
2: average. So that's fifty percent outcome. It's not the floor. What I'm what I'm pushing back on is like right.
1: The floor is made up by of the guys that completely flamed out. The, the ceiling is made out of the guys who were greats of all time. And somewhere in the middle is probably the answer, unless you're looking at Cage Cunningham and seeing some of the red flags. That we saw in Odin, one leg was shorter than the other, that we saw in Fult wasn't really a great prospect prior to the, you know, the last, you know, the year and a half before he got drafted. Uh Anthony Bennett again, same thing. Like if you're seeing some right, of those red yeah. flags, then I'm with it. But my thing is you look at Cage Cunningham, nothing about his profile indicates any of those red flags. So I think it's okay at that point to say, Oh, right, his floor is a little higher than completely washing out.
0: I know Slater's not Too big on Cunningham as a major OK State fan as he is, because that's his alma mater.
1: Oh, he might know
2: something. Mm, Sources tell Anthony. Well, he just
0: was. He was stoked for. He was stoked for the season of Cunningham, and then his take is kind of. I gotta say, I wasn't that impressed. I mean, he's not converting it into. This is what he'll be as a prospect, but it's more if if we're doing a kind of Bill Simmons. The fans of this team—it's a good sign. I think there is something to it. Uh, they tell you, "Oh my God, you'll love him as a player." Uh, not, not getting that. Not getting that from old slates. So, just something to think about.
2: By the way, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out last night is the the wars between Woj and Shams about reporting. I find it interesting that Shams or Woj take the time to like spell out like a sentence.
1: Lots of drafts. That's all that is. Not NBA drafts. Lots of. Pre-written tweets.
2: Oh, you're saying copy and paste, or there's a draft just waiting. Absolutely,
1: like they've they've got like. Look, Moody is going to the Warriors like two minutes before it happens. The draft is like a massive group chat. The teams are finding out who the other teams have picked. Well, I'm talking about two, sometimes even three picks before the current pick is being announced. All you got to do if you've got one person in one war room who's who's it like got eyes on the group chat. That's all you need. They can give you every single scoop because it's not a scoop. It's really, yeah, it looks like the Warriors just It's not like, yo, I talked to Bob Myers. He really like Moody. No, 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 no. It's on a screen. Warriors, 14, Moody, 15. That, are, that They already know this shit. So all they're doing is pre-writing the whole thing. And as soon as it happens or as soon as that window happens, they hit send. In the case of Woj, he has to put like, oh, I'm hearing they're leaning and all that other bullshit because Adam Silver chewed out ESPN a couple of years ago about how are you televising this thing and ruining your own television product with your guy putting out the tweets before they actually happen. Um, but the reality is, it's not these guys aren't like blazingly fast. You're like thirty seconds before the pick is in, It's already already All
2: All right, so that's insight. I don't think I've heard you explain it that way because Jeff Passan, who's an awesome reporter for the uh, for ESPN Major League Baseball, just broke the news that Chris Bryant is being traded to the Giants, Ethan. And, uh, his tweet, it's trade deadline week in baseball. His tweet was Bryant to SF comma source tells comma ESPN. <laughs> and that's how I imagined I would be tweeting out the picks. If I just found out the information, I would just want to get it out as quickly as possible and say, uh, Moody 14 sources tell, right.
1: But, oh, because you wouldn't have just found right. out
2: passing 2 minutes later says let's try this in english without a grammatical error the san francisco giants are in agreement on a deal to acquire chris bryant from the chicago cubs sources tell espn so
1: trade deadline trade deadline is different though right cuz trade deadline that information would have just hit you right now and you got to get it out as soon as possible and so that's the big difference there that the trade deadline is not like draft day draft day they have ample uh, uh, Advance notice, whereas trade deadline, you might have just heard that thing, and you'll see that you'll see that Woj does this, Chris Haynes does this, where when it's something like that, the first tweet they get out, West Westbrook like, to Lakers, right. Westbrook and da, 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 Lakers, yeah, and then and then he'll reply or quote tweet it and add more information that he probably already had, but he's just like, I got to get it out, which again highlights how fucking dumb this whole thing is, right? Like, who gives a shit? If you said it 30 seconds before someone else, I know I don't give a shit. I know most people don't give a shit because that Westbrook news, it was uh, um, uh, Shams had it first. But Woj had it like 30 seconds later. And because he had it 30 seconds later, ESPN ran with our Adrian Wojanowski reports, which, by the way, they're free to do that. Why? Because nobody gives a shit. <laughs> nobody cares who cares hey by the way guys um, uh, 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 last year Chris Paul got traded to the Suns who broke that Yeah. you don't know you know why because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who, who broke that news all that matters is that we found out and we would have found out one way or another if they didn't exist we would have found out from the press release and if press releases didn't exist you know what we would have found out we would have found out when we turned on the TV and <laughs> Chris Paul's wearing a Sun jersey. Yeah, how about that?
2: We figured out sports media in this podcast. Ethan, it's Friday, so we should get going here. Amin, i I'll let you go to wherever you need to be on this Friday afternoon. Ethan, I would say, tell the people where they can find your work, but guess what? We're trying to keep some suspense here. I'll be saying some interesting stuff. That's all I'll say.